We are so excited that you have joined us for this week's message from Dwelling Place Church. If you'd like to know more about Dwelling Place Church, visit us online at www.dwellingplacenc.com. For now, here's Pastor Tommy. So tonight I want to talk to us about outside the box trust. Last week we talked about um, outside the box love. Um, and we established that boxes are, are good things to have around. It's, uh, boxes are used to carry food. Boxes are used to carry cargo and, and precious things. We live in a world filled with boxes and items. And, uh, and even thoughts can be thought of as being in a box. When we talk about and think about God, he is something that could be understood, or parts of him understood, um, in a box. Theology could be considered a box, or faith could be considered a box. Um, however, we also serve a God who is greater than any thought we could have and greater than any box we could put in. And we serve a God uh, through the Bible that is a God that isn't restricted by boxes. He's not uh, limited by them. And one of the things that God has that is limitless is his love. God has an outside of the box love. It's a love wide enough to wrap around the entire world and, and all of existence. It's a love long enough to, to find us no matter how far away we were from God. It's a love that was deep enough to get us out of the deepest hole that we could dig for ourselves or, or that humanity could dig for itself. It is also a love that is high enough to give us new life with him that we can be seated with Christ in heavenly places. Uh, tonight I want to talk about outside the box trust. When we step into a realm where we can love like Jesus does, it requires a level of trust that is also outside of the box. And it is because of his outside-of-the-box love that makes our outside-of-the-box trust for him possible. Um, and so before I go any further tonight, I want to just open with prayer, and we'll just come and uh, agree together. Heavenly Father, we just come before you tonight. We're so grateful, Lord, for your word, for your presence tonight. And God, I just pray, Lord, that you would give us uh, milk and meat from your word tonight, that, Lord, we may grow thereby. I pray, Lord, that the faith of the listener will be strengthened, for faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Lord, I pray for strength tonight. I pray, Lord, that you hide behind the cross, and that you would receive all the praise on and glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. 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 So outside of the box, trust. So first thing we need to do is define what is trust. There's three definitions of trust. Trust is a firm belief in the reliability, the truth, the ability, or the strength of someone or something. Trust is also the acceptance of the truth of a statement without evidence or investigation. It's believing it at face value. Trust is also to allow someone to have, to use, or to look after someone or something of importance or value with confidence. So we're trusting Shannon to hold maybe a lower grace for us today, <laughs> which we trust her very much for that. But today, trust, trust is a hard thing to establish. It is hard to trust the reliability of what is told to us on television, on social media. There's little that you can believe on Facebook these days and on news outlets. It's difficult to establish trust with new people as there are many people in today's society who are looking to take advantage of others. Most phone calls we receive nowadays are from telemarketers who want to sell us something or those who are urgently trying to get up with us concerning our car's extended warranty. <laughs> In light of the many people and things we cannot trust, the list of things that we can seems to be shrinking smaller and smaller. 
We tend to rely on our senses to gauge whether we can trust something or not. We, we try to smell something to see if it's still fresh, or we rely on our hearing, or one of the big ones that humans put a lot of trust in is our eyesight, what we can see. And to have trust in someone or something that we cannot see is, is rather extraordinary. One of the tests of someone's trust that is usually done at a young age, I'm sure everyone here is well familiar with it, uh, that usually kids like to do is called the trust fall. Some kids will get together, I'm sure many of us have experienced this exercise, well, some kids will get together and one person closes their eyes and they just start cranking in the boots a little bit as the other ones coach them to say, this, you know, count to, to three or to five and, and then fall backwards and we're gonna catch you. We're not gonna hurt you, it's gonna be okay, we're gonna catch you. And then they put their hand over their eyes and they fall backwards and, and they catch them and, and then everyone laughs and has a good time. Uh, but doesn't life feel like that sometimes? Life sometimes feels like a trust fall with what we're going through. It feels like, God, I don't know why I'm falling right now, but I, I really need you to catch me at this moment. Sometimes God has asked you to step out in faith to make a decision that will impact your life or, or the lives of your family or people around you. And all you have to go on in that moment while you're waiting for God to move is just a word from God or, or a scripture verse that, that is giving you encouragement in that moment. And you feel, spiritually, like you have your hand over your eyes and you're just waiting for God to catch you as you lean back on Him. That takes an outside-of-the-box kind of trust. A trust with God that is stretched and, and taken outside of your comfort zone. It's uncomfortable. Because tr trust is built on relationships. Trust is something that is built over time. Trust is, is a two-way street where expectations are established and they continue to develop. Trusting God with your life and all the decisions that go along with it is a journey. It grows with our relationship with God. So I want to share tonight a tale of two Josephs. A tale of two Josephs. And if you have your Bibles, if you want to go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 45, verses 4 through 8, I want to kind of establish some backstory for our first Joseph. Um, and to help differentiate between the two, our, our first Joseph we're going to talk about is Jacob's Joseph. And the second Joseph is Mary's Joseph from the New Testament and the Gospels. So in Genesis, Jacob's Joseph was given a dream, several in fact. Um, dreams that were from God. Dreams um, that told of him arising above his brothers and even above his parents in authority and, and uh, in, in power. And his family naturally weren't too pleased with his dreams. Uh, you know, they were kind of thinking these were delusions of grandeur. Um, which I think if anyone told us, hey, I'm going to be greater than you one day and going to bow to me, I don't think any of us would like to hear that. Uh, it's, no one wants to hear that. So as time went on, through jealousy, his brothers decided one day to, to throw him in a well as they decided to, what to do with him. They actually were planning on killing him, but af after some conversations, they decided not to. So what they did is they saw some merchants coming down the road and they sold him into slavery to go to Egypt. And they uh, took his robe of many colors, and they killed the lamb to make it look like he was attacked viciously by a wild animal. And so his father thought he was dead. And so Joseph is sold into slavery. And this is the exact opposite of what his dream was. His dream that God had given him was a dream where he would rise above his brothers, above his parents, in a seat of power and authority. And here he is on the bottom as a slave in Egypt. It was a cruel joke in the face of the prophetic dream that he had. Nevertheless, he stood out among his peers, and he was exceptional at organization and management and 
He was just uh, an excellent person to have around. He quickly rose to be the top servant in the house of Potiphar, who was a captain and chief executioner of the royal guard. And then once again, someone else's actions toward him caused him to end up not just in a dry well, but a prison cell. Potiphar's wife took a fancy to Joseph, and when he fled from her efforts of trying to entice him, she lied about him and said that he was trying to entice her. And so Joseph finds himself in prison. In prison, he meets a butler and a baker who both have disturbing dreams. Jacob's Joseph is then allowed by God not just to have prophetic dreams of, for himself, but to also interpret these other two men's dreams. The baker had a dream, and he ends up being put to death, as Joseph interpreted, and the butler um, had a dream that Joseph would interpret he would go back to Pharaoh's court. And we find that this ends up happening. And in Genesis chapter 40, verse 14, Joseph tells the butler, But think of me when it shall be well with you, and show kindness, I beg of you, to me, and mention me to Pharaoh, and get me out of this house. For truly I was carried away from the land of the Hebrews by unlawful force, and here too I have done nothing for which they should put me into this dungeon. And so Joseph's trying to get back to the land of his father. He's like, help me get out of here if you can. And so several verses on it says that the butler was restored to his position, and he gave no thought to Joseph, but forgot all about him for two whole years. Didn't have another thought about him. Thanks, buddy. I'm up. I'm out of here and forgot about him. But I believe that the dreams that those two men had weren't just for their benefit. I believe that they were what Joseph was able to hold on to those two years. He waited night and day in that prison for the fulfillment of his own dreams. Because when the days were hot and the nights were cold, Joseph was able to trust God in those moments and say, if he gave me the interpretation of those two strangers and their dreams came to pass, there was still hope for my dreams that God gave me back when I was with my father all those years ago. Joseph was able to trust God in this period of waiting because God gave him hope in his season. Sometimes we find ourselves in periods and seasons where in our lives we're simply waiting on a promise from God. We're waiting for God to fulfill what he had spoken. And we know what God said, we know what he told us, and the dream he has given us, or the prophetic word he's given us, or something that he's put in our heart. We're just waiting for it to happen. And during these seasons of our lives, it's easy to get discouraged that nothing is changing, and nothing is going to change. Joseph, for Joseph, I mean, he had a hopeless situation. How could his situation change? He was in prison, and he was there until someone said otherwise. He had no power to change his circumstances. But he could hold on to a hope that if those two men were able to get out of that, out of that prison one way or another, and their dreams were fulfilled, then his dream could be fulfilled too. And so we can get encouragement through what God is doing in other people. My dream may have not have happened yet, but I can see Sister Susie or Brother Bob, their dream came to pass. And so we can get encouragement through one another, through someone else, that God is still able to make dreams come to pass. Just hold on and wait for it to happen. Hold on to what God did for someone else. And believe that if God did it for them, he's able to do it for you as well. So Joseph had to have an outside-of-the-box trust while he waited inside of the box. The trust had to go beyond his prison cell. And then we end up finding in the story that Pharaoh has a dream that bothered him greatly, which he nor anyone else in his court or anyone else in the land was able to tell him 
what it meant. Then, at this time, two years later, the butler remembered Joseph, a strange little Hebrew boy he saw in the prison cell who, who told him what his dream meant. Joseph is then brought to Pharaoh's court, and he tells Pharaoh that God will interpret his dream, that it was Joseph's ability, but he believed that God would give him the interpretation. Joseph interprets the entire dream and lays out the entire meaning to Pharaoh, and so then Pharaoh is then given the position of the highest in the land, second only to Pharaoh himself. He gives him authority over every uh, official that he has to, to prevent the disaster of this dream that Pharaoh had. And so God uses Joseph's talents and his abilities to prepare and save enough food for everyone in the land to make it through the seven years of famine that were coming. And so during this famine of the seven years, his brothers come several times in search of food, and Joseph doesn't know how to act. They keep coming, and he, he isn't sure if they've matured and grown from that place where they were, where they threw him in the dry well. And so his brothers keep coming, and eventually Joseph cannot bear his, his secrecy that he's keeping from them, that he is alive and he is the, the top official in the land. And so now we get to our text in Genesis chapter 45, verses 4 through 8. And Joseph says to his brothers, please come closer to me. And they approached him. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me ahead of you to save life and preserve our family. For the famine had been in the land these two years, and there are still five more years in which there will be no plowing and harvesting. God sent me to Egypt ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to keep you alive by a great escape. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. For now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Joseph said, it was not you who caused this to happen to me, but God. There are times when what happens in our lives is simply out of our control. Completely out of our control. Pandemics are something that are out of our control. Gas prices rising or falling are out of our control. Politics, besides our ability to vote, are largely out of our control. What other people may do to us sometimes is outside of our control. And there was a personal story where Ashton and I thought that other people's decisions impacted the will of God for our lives. It was a story when I was doing an internship, internship um, in Wilmington, one of the churches there when I was getting my credentials. And it was a time when we initially thought that the will of God for us was to do it through another pastor in Fayetteville. And we ended up getting a call one day that and, uh, the powers that be, the, the people over us in the program, said that we weren't going to Fayetteville, but we were, in fact, going to Wilmington. And this was the first time that we really felt something, I guess, that felt so man-driven and perhaps just something out of our control. And we weren't sure if this was quite the will of God for our lives. But we were obedient. We, we went to Wilmington. We did the, the internship experience. And... We found out that it was, we didn't understand it at the time, but years later we were able to determine that it was in fact God's will for our lives, that despite the decisions of other people for us, God still used it for our good because we made connections at that church and with that, fam that church family that 
were very crucial. And, and there was a lot of people that had died during that time that had we not been there, they would have not have been supported as much as they could have been. And so what we learned from that is God is bigger than even what other people can do to you. God is bigger than the things that, that happen to us that are beyond our control. God is still bigger than that because it wasn't them who sent us to Wilmington. It was God. It was God. Because he is able to save by many or by few. He is able to raise up a, a choir of praisers out of rocks if we neglect to praise him. And Joseph's brothers, they sinned. And they, they lied. And they did a wrong thing to Joseph, their brother. But God still used it. And Potiphar's wife, she sinned by lusting after Joseph and by lying that he was lusting after her and got thrown in prison. But God still used it. God is able to use even bad things that happen to us to position us precisely where he needs us to be. Because if Joseph wasn't in the prison and he hadn't met the butler, then he would never have been in the palace. And so God is able to position us even with using bad things that happen to us. If I went to my mom's house and I said, Mom, I'm hungry. And she said, Tommy, come on in. I got a nice bowl of flour sitting here for you. Here's a spoon. Go to town. It's all yours. I'd be like, this is nasty. <laughs> a bowl of flour. And she's like, oh, don't worry about the flour. Let me just get you, uh, let me get the salt out of the cabinet. You just munch on that salt. All right, that tastes a little bit better, but that is still very not nutritious. Um, it would probably get my blood pressure to go up. Um, so she said, well, well, Tommy, don't worry about it. Here's some vegetable shortening. You can uh, some baking powder to go with it as a leavening agent, and it'll all just curdle on the inside of you. Um, that'd be terrible. That'd be terrible. But if my mom took all those ingredients together, rolled them together in a bowl, rolled them out on the pan, cut them, now we're talking. We got some biscuits after they go in the oven for a while. We got us some biscuits. And so these ingredients by themselves are nasty, but together, they make something tasty, something that we can eat, and that is good. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. That doesn't mean that all things that happen to us are good. There are some terrible things that happen to Joseph, and there are terrible things that happen to us in our lives. But what God and God only is able to do is like it says in Isaiah 61, 3, he's able to give beauty for ashes, yes. the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. This is how we can trust God outside of our box. We can trust him like no other person because God can use anything in our lives to bring us to where he wants us positioned. He is so reliable that even when things happen that we don't expect and that, that are good, bad, or indifferent, God is able to use all of our circumstances to fulfill what he said what he would do, to fulfill the dreams that he gives us and the promises that he gives us. So what you may be going through may feel like the biggest trust fall of your life or in your world, but God will catch you. God can catch you, and he will catch you. So that was the first Joseph. Uh, another Joseph that had actually very similar stuff happen to him was Mary's Joseph we find in the Gospels. And he had to trust God outside of the box in his circumstances. He was a carpenter eagerly waiting for his wedding day with the young fiance Mary. She goes and visits her family for a few months, her cousin Elizabeth, and she comes back and she is several months pregnant. She tells him of the angel Gabriel visiting her, telling her that she would be the one to birth the Messiah. 
She tells of Elizabeth's baby who left for joy when he heard her voice. And she tells Joseph that her soul does magnify the Lord in everything that he's told her. But this is still a hard pill for Mary's Joseph to swallow. He decides to put her away quietly to, to cover up what may have looked like something that would cause shame. But it is then that an angel appears to Mary's Joseph. And he has an angelic counter himself. An angel appears to him in a dream and tells him what is going on with Mary, that she indeed is with child of the Messiah, that she was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. And so he believes Mary's story. And then we find that a census goes out and they must return to Bethlehem. It is now becoming close to the end of Mary's pregnancy. And the child is born in a manger, Christ the King. And the shepherds hear the jubilee of heaven and they come to see what these glad tidings be. And then another dream comes to Mary's Joseph. They flee to Egypt, for Herod seeks the child's life, as the angel tells him. So the angel says to stay there until I tell you to go from that place. And so they flee to Egypt that night. He then has another dream from another angel, telling them to return to Israel with Jesus and his mother after Herod dies, because those who seek the child's life have died. And then as they are en route to Israel, Joseph learns that the new ruler there is now Herod's son, and so he becomes afraid. Then he then has another dream from an angel. And they tell him not to go to where they were before, but to head to the region of Galilee to stay in the town of Nazareth. Dream after dream was given to Mary's Joseph, and prophecy after prophecy was fulfilled out of a result of it. He didn't even realize everything he was doing, but... He distrusted God and the angel that spoke to him in these dreams. And Old Testament scripture after Old Testament scripture that talked about Jesus being from Egypt and Jesus being from Nazareth and Jesus being from Bethlehem and the root of David, all of these things were fulfilled from his trust and his obedience to God. And so these are the similarities between these two Josephs. Both had dreams that God used to speak direction into their lives. Both of their dreams God used not only to save them, but also their families. Both of them lived in Egypt for a time, and they had unexpected challenges, but God guided them through their lives' journey. Not only were their lives blessed in the end, but their families, and even beyond their families, the entire world was blessed as a result of their outside-of-the-box trust. Because Jacob's Joseph didn't just save his family's life, but all the people from the surrounding areas came to Egypt to, for the food. And so not only did Egypt survive a seven-year famine, but all the surrounding areas did as well. And Mary's Joseph, who taking care of Mary and, and baby Jesus, did not just save their lives, but preserved Christ to fulfill his mission, which he came to the world to seek and to save that which was lost, and to bring redemption. So the bottom line between the tale of these two Josephs is that you can trust God with your life. You can trust God with your life. The circumstances may not be favorable, or may not be what you've expected, you can still trust God because he can work everything out together for our good. Both of these men had something that is available to us today. They had a GPS. They Pastor Tom, what are you talking about? They had a GPS. The modern GPS project was started by the U.S. Department of Defense in 1973. The first prototype spacecraft was launched in 1978, and the full constellation of 24 satellites became operational the year before I was born in 1993. The GPS stands for a Global Positioning System. It is a space-based radio navigation system, y'all bear with me, that 
that broadcasts highly accurate navigation pulses to users on or near Earth. That is the definition. But long before this project was ever even thought of, there was already the God's Positioning System, or GPS. The God's Positioning System was started by the creator of the universe long before the earliest recorded date in the Egyptian calendar. The first prototype was started when Adam and Eve were placed in the Garden of Eden, and it was fully operational from the beginning. God's Positioning System is a heavenly-based spiritual navigation system that broadcasts highly accurate navigation messages to users on or near Earth. And so Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. This is what I mean by saying that they had a GPS. God was positioning them right where they needed to be at the right time to fulfill his plan and purpose in their lives. And God positions us. Sometimes we go through things that we don't understand. We're like, God, why am I here? Why am I going through this? But it could just be because God is positioning you right where he wants you in the season where you're at. Even though it's hard, even though you have to wait, even though things are difficult, God has you positioned for a purpose. And God's positioning system sometimes leads us outside of the box of our comfort zone. We're outside of the box of our expectation. And when we have to trust him outside of the box, when he is leading us that way. Because if we cannot trust God to lead our lives, to lead our decisions, then we'll never take our step in his, in his leading or our step outside of the box. What if Jacob's Joseph never interpreted those men's dreams in prison? What if he just kept it to himself and he said, well, they're just two strange men out here. I'm just going to leave them, leave them be. Then, Jake, then Joseph would have never talked with the butler and never had him be remembered in the court of Pharaoh. He never would have gotten out of his prison box. Or Mary's Joseph, if he was still skeptical over these dreams that the angels had shared with him or, or over God's plan for Mary, then, and he decided not to be with Mary anymore, then he never would have been included any further in the story of Christ's birth. We find that Adam and Eve were, were placed in the Garden of Eden. But it was through Satan causing them to doubt and to distrust what God had said that led them to take of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Satan still uses these tactics today. He wants us to doubt what God has said to us and to not trust God, let alone trust God enough to step outside of the box or step outside of our comfort zone. If we end up staying in our boxes and not growing in our trust in God, then our relationship with God isn't growing either. Because God wants us to have close, intimate relationship with him. He wants to spend time with us. He wants us our trust in him to grow, not just to remain stagnant and say, God, I'm going to only trust you with this part of my life, but no further. And so what we find is we, we put ourselves in boxes. I can just fit in this box. Um, we, we, we have, all right, Lord, I'm going to trust you with, with just this part of my life, but I don't know about this part over here, God. I, I'm going to trust you with maybe my health, but I don't trust you enough with my finances yet, so I'm going to stay right here. But then God says, be outrageously generous or, or give, give a seed to that one person who may be needing it. He wants us to, to begin to step outside of the box and have an outside of the box kind of trust and say, okay, God, I'm going I'm to be obedient. And then we begin to see the blessing of God in our life. And then we see that he begins to rebuke the devourer for our sake. And then we also we used to always be behind in our bills. We used to always uh, be in want. And now, now we're just, we have money left over at the end of the month. And now we have blessing over our life. God's not just blessing our finances, but he's, he's blessing other areas of our life. 
Or we might be in the box of saying, God, I'm only going to trust you this much with, with my time. And my time is precious to me. And, and I want to do what I want to do. But then God says, trust me with a little bit more of your time. And spend some time in prayer. Spend 10 minutes in prayer today. Or spend five minutes reading your Bible today. And, and sacrifice that little bit of your time. And then we begin to see that, oh, man, I'm not half as depressed as I used to be. Or I don't, I don't complain as much as I used to. Or I'm starting to feel more thankful than I used to before because I'm getting into God's word. And I'm trusting God with this area of my life. And God begins to, to when he takes us outside of the box and we trust him in this, in this space, God is able to release his blessings over us and his blessings of us of being outside of the box. Thank you, Jesus. And so, and your, your story may be, may be different than any of these examples that I've given, but um, whatever, whatever decisions that you're facing today, trust God with those decisions. Trust him that he's big enough to lead your life, and to lead you into his purpose for your life. Because God is well aware of what we, what we desire and what, what our dreams are and the things that we need. Psalm 37, verse 3 through 4 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. God knows what we need. God knows what we desire even more than we do. I mean, our desires can change on a whim or, or from day to day, but, but God can give us uh, riches that add no sorrow with them. God can bless us in a way that, that we can live happily and joyfully on the earth. So trust him that if you leave your life in his hands, he will take good care of it. He will take good care of you. So what do you do when, when God asks you to step outside the box? What, what do you do um, to trust him about a decision that, that you need to make? A decision that, that may be very important. Here are some practical steps. Pray about specific direction. And be cautious in your prayers. Recognize your own wants versus what it is just to simply be in the will of God. And pray the will of God over your life. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as, as the Lord's prayer states. Because you may just get what you pray for. And there's a king in, in the Old Testament in um, 2 Kings chapter 20. His name was Hezekiah. He was a good king. He, he, was, he lived a good life. He did the right things. He didn't have idols in the land. And, and he led Israel to fear the Lord. Hezekiah was a good king. But he asked something of God. God told him he was going to die. He had, he had a disease in his body. And the Lord told him he was going to die. And he got very upset. He was very sorrowful. And he asked the Lord for more time. So the Lord, the Lord granted what he prayed for. He gave him more time. He gave him 15 more years. But what we find is, is this good king and this, this righteous king, in those extra 15 years, experienced things he could have easily avoided had he died when the Lord wanted to take him initially. And actually, the next king after him, Manasseh, who was a terribly wicked king, was 12 years old when he began to reign. So Manasseh wasn't even born until those 15 years, those extra 15 years that Hezekiah had died. And so we want to pray. Specifically, we want to pray not just for what we want or the things that, that we covet after or, or the things that we'd like to have, but we want to pray the will of God because we don't know what's good for us sometimes, but God always does. And so, Lord, if it be your will, it'd be nice to have that new truck. <laughs> but, but, you know what I'm saying? But, but, you know, the Lord wants to bless us. Oh, uh, that, that's just an example there. That was free. Um, the, the another practical thing we can do when we, we want God to, to lead us in our decisions in life is Proverbs eleven fourteen. It says, in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. And so you want to talk with people 
um, who have your best spiritual interest in mind, who have your best spiritual interest at heart. And we also seek the Lord's direction in the scripture. I mean, God's not going to tell us to do something that's, that's contrary to his word or that's opposite of what his word says. God's not going to say, you know, go, go steal that truck. God's not going to do that because stealing is, is a sin from his word that we can see. Um, but another thing is we want to wait on God's timing. And this is probably one of the most difficult to do and the most difficult thing to determine is learning about God's timing. Because uh, in Scripture, things usually took a long time. Um, Noah built the ark, but it took him, I think, over 100 years to do it. Uh, we see David was anointed to be king when he was a shepherd boy, but it took him years and years to where he finally became the king of Israel. Jesus' own ministry wasn't in full swing until he was 30 years old. And at the marriage of Cana, when his mother asked him to turn water into wine, he said, it's still not quite my time yet, Mom. Give me a little bit more time, but then he performs a miracle. His ministry was just not yet fully come at that point. And so part of following the will of God is having patience. And patience is not just waiting, but it's knowing when to act. When to act. And God helps us with that, too. Um, actually, if you're ready to come, <laughs> your hands are a little bit full at the moment. Um, God is able to give us wisdom and to give us direction for our lives if we'll ask it of Him. When we don't just consult our own opinion or what seems best to us, but we say, God, I'm going to lay down my desires, my decisions, and what I want with what you say is best for my life. And that, that, that's an act of surrender, it's an act of, of, of sacrifice, but we won't be disappointed when we make that prayer. Because God gives us a free will, and we have the ability to make our own decisions. Um, but also, God is very gracious and loving to let us know what the results of those, those decisions usually are. Um, the Bible is full of, if you do this, then this will happen. If my people will pray and humble themselves and seek my face, then I will heal their land. Um, the Word of God is, is full of examples to let us know what decisions are good to make in our lives and what decisions are, are not so healthy. And so stepping outside of the box requires stepping into a new level of trust because it's taking the, the driving wheel of your life and giving it into God's hands. It's Jesus take the wheel, pretty much. Jesus take the wheel, as that song says. But following God can feel risky because you're not in control. Because you're not in control. But it is worth it. It is worth giving God the wheel and saying, Lord, I, you know, I, I may not have the faith or, or, or the trust quite yet to give you all of me, but Lord, here's this part of me today. And God can use that. And he works with us. And as we build our relationship with him, he, he stretches us. He stretches those walls of our box a little bit and says, hey, trust me in this area of your life a little bit more. We just recently asked him and I, we, the Lord, put on our hearts to trust him a little bit more with our finances. And so year by year, we were giving a certain amount, and the Lord told us and challenged us to trust him a little bit more with our giving. And so we started to be a little bit more generous. And what we found as a result is when we were more generous and gave with an open hand, God gave with an open hand back to us, and we lacked for nothing. There's nothing that we need because God blessed us in that act of obedience. Trust God. Trust God. Some of the highest levels of trust in God's word. Uh, two examples. We know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they were faced with the choice of either bowing to an idol of the king 
word or standing again was thrown into a fiery furnace. They told the king Nebuchadnezzar, even though the furnace was heated seven times hotter than it usually is, and, and the men who were going to throw them in there died when they did because it was so hot. They told the king, God is able to deliver us from this fiery furnace, but even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow. That is the level of trust and faith that they had in God. And we, we see in the story that God delivered them out of the fiery furnace. And Job, in his life, he, he experienced tremendous material loss. He lost everything. He lost his children. His wife told him, just curse God and die. He got nothing left to live for. He had boils on his skin that he, he'd scrape with a pot shark. But even Job said, even if God were to slay me, still I'm going to trust him. Those are very high levels of trust. But we see that in Job's story, he was able to get even more back than everything that he lost, and he got even more children than he had before. And they have tremendous testimony. So if God is able to do that with their lives, what can God do with your life and with my life?